like the real deal now. Ooh. Gonna kick this sorry ass out on the street. Welcome to the Lowdown Wrestling Podcast. My name is Robert Fuller, and returning to the show is Craig Herbie. Craig, welcome back. Howdy, howdy, howdy. And uh, today we are talking about a part of a series on WW2000. And the first part is when we are talking about the main event of Samurai 2000, which is David Plays and Jeff Jarrett um, challenging for the World Heavyweight. Um, championship of WCW, the champion was David Arquette. Yes, you did hear that right. Um, so this was in 2000, um, and it all starts basically with Vince Russo. Uh, Vince Russo, in late 99, became head writer of WWE, and got offered a massive contract by WCW, so he went to WWE, I'm off. Went there, um, didn't go well to begin with, he, the WCW wanted to be part of the committee, he went that, but that, and left. Uh, and then he went back to Kevin Sullivan for a while, and then in the beginning of April, uh, there was a proposal that Russo and Bischoff, who was in charge of the trading for most of the 90s, uh, come together and become uh, the head writers for the show. So, Trey, uh, when you first heard that Russo was going to become the head writer of WCW, were you watching WCW at the time, and if you were, what was your opinion? I was not. <laughs> I'm, yeah, I'm going to get this uh, straight away. I'm I'm not sure if I was watching. I'm pretty sure at this point I just, for some reason, I think my fandom went the same way that like the fandom of like the Nintendo 64 video games went, to where 97, 98 when uh, WCW NWO World Tour and WCW versus yeah, WCW NWO Revenge, those two games came out. I was watching WCW. I was very interested in Goldberg's streak. Very yeah. interested in, uh, I don't know, I think I thought DDP was a very cool guy. Uh, so on and so forth. And then by, like, I don't know, 99 when, uh, I guess it may have been, like, when Attitude and Warzone came out, even though they weren't made by, like, the same game makers that ended up making Mania 2000 and No Mercy. I ended up very, being very interested in WWF. And if you ask 1999 me who Vince Russo was, you'd be like, I would be like, huh? Wait, huh? Who? Oh, is that is that the coach of like, the Packers? You're like, no, no, that's not the coach of the Packers, Trey. That's Vince Lombardi. You, you got your references mixed up there, you know. So I would have had – I you might as well have asked me, like uh, – what the what the meaning of quantum physics was at that time because that that would have been how much knowledge I would have had of Vince Russo at this point. Oh, okay. Yeah, I mean, I think with me, I didn't really know about him until uh, Nick Foley's first book. I think it came around. So I read that about quite a month before Russo came into the So I'd heard of him at that point. Um. So pretty much with Russo and Bishop to come together, 
and that is like the week before Spring Top, the Spring Top P pay per view in April. And the 10th of April, the Nitro, they pretty much go, fuck it, and vacate all the titles. And they will all be um, held uh, at tournaments at, at Spring Top P. But what was a good idea? It's a bit weird that like, we technically rebooting their continuity. But, um, but I, I don't know, what, what do you think? Do you think they should have, like, got, you know, kind of kept them as champions and then slowly build it up, you know, get the guys they wanted to be champions in there? Or would it be safe to go, fuck it, clean slate? I don't... <laughs> I will say this as, like, a, as a, a... For a long time, having played, like, you know, like the, the Extreme Warfare Revenges and Total Extreme Warfares of the world, um, to where... Basically, the beginning of those games ends up ended up being basically what Bischoff and Russo done. It's really fun to do in a video game where you just say, "I don't remember any of the stuff that happened before this. Screw it. We're just gonna pretend like it didn't happen." Got uh, I don't know, Canyon's your world champion now. Uh, you know, so on and so forth. But it's just, I definitely get though that it kind of makes a mockery of like any person's attention to you know paying attention to this product and investing in it even a product as dire as you can imagine wcw in 2000 was it's still kind of like it it's i always think that that it's kind of a terrible decision to to do any of that sort of stuff like I kind of hate any time that the title is vacated for whatever, like, I mean, other than, like, you know, ones that can't be avoided, like, you know, yeah. da- you know Daniel Bryan's going to be out for the next several months, so of course he can't actually defend the title, and there's no, not even a worked way around trying to do that. You know, something like that, an injury, a legitimate injury, I, I get why someone would vacate a title, but usually vacating a title for a story reason that always makes me cringe. Not because I have like this big stake in the title, but because it almost always, I can't remember too many times I've seen the title be vacated and then be like, Oh yeah, that was a good decision. You know, that ended up making the title seem more credible at the end of the day. And that, you know, that this prop that, you know, basically gets traded around from wrestler to wrestler. doesn't feel as much like, you know, just some random piece of ramshackle gold that they just woke up one week and was like, well, guess we're just going to have the title belong to no one today. Ah, whatever. You know, it's, it doesn't like, there feels like there is a cohesion there when it's, when you're talking about like a, like even like a classic rain, like, like, you know, there's a reason why people, you know, take stock in the idea of like a Bob Backlund held the belt for six years then he loses to the Iron Sheik, and then Iron Sheik loses to Hulk Hogan, and then you can see, almost by definition, when one era ends and another era begins. There's kind of a nice little rhythm to that, whereas, especially at this point, <laughs> the only thing you can really see out of WCW is that they were desperately flailing about trying to figure out something to do. Most, For the most part, not doing it well. Yeah, that's true. Um, and then having basically what we're having here, which is uh, a promotion that has an actor as their world heavyweight champion. Yeah, that's true. Um, and not even an actor known for fighting. No, that is even true. Um, yeah, but uh, pretty much with, with that, um, it's not 
the 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 start of the whole new blood millionaires club view because obviously uh, Russell Bishop trying to like promote digital talent and the millionaire clubs even, um, were trying to stop it. Yeah, for some bizarre reason the millionaire club were the good guys in this. But it's a bit yeah, weird to know. <laughs> that part about it is extremely baffling to me. I, I like the conceits. I do actually like, like, I do find it interesting to where it reminded me, it reminds me somewhat of, like, the first couple months of the Nexus, for example, we'll yeah. say, to where it's all these young guys that you've never seen in a top entity that are considered, you know, that suddenly fight their way and they're like, oh, these people are on the level. Or, you know, I like the idea of a heel group that is, that's entire point is trying to break the establishment. And I guess that is what they were aiming for. But the big issue is that it kind of exposes just how badly WCW whiffed on, like, maybe all but, like, two people in the past, like, three or four, in the past four or five years beforehand in developing a homegrown guy into a big star just because it's like, oh, they're finally going to give Billy Kibben that push and he's going to be a bad guy for some reason. And he's going to accidentally remind me in his 22nd promo during this uh, pay-per-view recap opening, he's going to remind me accidentally of Heath Slater. (laughs) And I'm going to imagine a world which Heath Slater beat Hulk Hogan three times and then lost on a pay-per-view afterwards. Yeah. That's true. I mean, I don't think it helped as well that WWE did lose a lot of talent over that over the previous years. They lost like Chris Jericho, Benoit, Ger- uh, Guerrero, and all that stuff. So I've, I can see, I can probably see why they did, but it is, it is a bit because you know all out of all the new guys, then Mark Mike Olsen coming from WCW and Jarrett from WWE, uh, but a lot of people probably you couldn't really see going up to that level, so. And obviously Bishop and Russo being like the bad guys in this whole thing. So it's like, no, we weird, but it's just it's weird that you know the the whole like well, it was a war reversal kind of thing. Um, but also this time, uh, Jeff Garrett uh, came over to WCW uh, at the same time as Russo did. Um, he was known as the chosen one. And um, in the tournament, a split stampede, he becomes WCW champion, beating uh, Dan Rice Page, uh, with help from his wife, Kimberly, who turns on him. Um, meanwhile, David Cat uh, makes his first appearance uh, to promote the film Ready to Rumble, which was produced in cooperation with WCW. Um, and they were following lines with uh, Kanye DDP. Um, and the Nitro at the 24th of April, uh, Arquette Bicks beats Bischoff and uh, DDP beats Jarrett uh, at in a steel cage to become champion. Uh, JJ doesn't take that well. Uh, the next night he pretty much like, professes to hurt Arquette unless he gets in a bizarre thing where it's him and Bischoff against DDP and Arquette and the WCW titles on the line. And then uh, I was like, well, I remember watching this, I'm like, okay. Um, and then, but he had Kimberly as the referee, and then um, that obviously changed the cluster foot quite quickly. And at the end of it all, uh, Kimberly gets blinded. Arquette, um, who I think he spears Bischoff, and even though they're both not the legal men, he covers 
Jarrett covers DDP at the same time, a referee comes in, counts to three, and declares Arquette as the WCW champion. Um, so when you, did you, I know you weren't watching WCW at this point, but did you hear about Arquette winning the championship at the time? Nope. <laughs> I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> the, the, like, it wasn't until years later uh, yeah. when, you know, probably watching probably some dumb WWE revisionist history version thing of it um that i even saw the that i even saw the angle in question um that like saw everything that happened and um i did not at all hear about this um and i also find it funny that this was ostensibly based around promoting this movie it should be said that Basically, by the time Arquette wins the world title, um, the movie—I mean, the movie came out uh, according according to uh, this uh, handy Google search that I definitely did not just suddenly make during this conversation. Um, it's uh, the movie came out April the seventh. Right. Um, so by the time that Arquette is on Nitro winning the world title, I mean. I I don't want to I don't want to dis- dispute anything that, that say that's Ray Rumble didn't exactly make money. Yeah. It did not do particularly well at the box office. So and especially probably the first weekend probably did you know what it did and then it probably tanked even more from even the effort to promote them if even if you could say that it was an effort to promote this movie this movie had already long since failed. Critics had already ravaged it, and they at this point, you know, it's just like, well, you know, mentally for I think basically everyone that is not David Arquette, it was basically probably on to the next one as far as yeah. like you know next movie, next whatever. Whereas David Arquette, just like oh, uh, suddenly I'm getting an offer from Vince Russo to win the world title, huh? <laughs> That's weird. Yeah, I, th- I think with that, I know that uh, Arquette was like. Totally gets the idea because he's like, oh, well, I'm not lesser, what's the fuck want this? But Russo, Russo's thing at this time was to create like publicity and things like that for for the company. And he saw it has, uh, you know, having an actor has like the face of the company being the champion was good publicity for them. Uh, obviously, that turned out to be probably one of the worst, worst things he ever did. But um, there you go. Yeah. Um, I mean, he did. I mean, if he wants to give himself credit, he did manage to get Kurt Russell in an episode of Monday Nitro, which yes, I don't um, think would have happened any other way other than by this absurd thing. Mind you, I'm only thinking of this for a perspective of Kurt Russell should be in like everything. That's nice. the only perspective. Like I'm like I've literally just got done, uh, mostly done watching Furious Seven and. I did not know how Kurt Russell has not been in like the first six of these yeah. Fast and the Furious movies. Yeah, uh, uh, with, yeah I know what you mean. Uh, with with Kurt Russell, he well, he's in a segment with uh, obviously okay, okay, static and stuff. So see, segment in Nitro with um, he's on the set of the film Three Miles Three Thousand Miles of Graceland because it's, it's now X Y. He also did not do that well after when it came out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so he's uh, Kurt Wilson's in it and Cody Carson's in it and see pretty much he's like bolting around and Cody Carson's going, what the fuck is this? You, you're not Wesley, you shouldn't be doing this. And uh, as a segment with Kurt Russell, 
Uh, said that Courtney Cox uh, was actually his uh, wife at the time. It was yes. a pretty famous relationship as far as, like, you know, Courtney Cox at this point, of course, very famous from uh, the TV show Friends and, you know, yep. had various uh, appearances like that. It was kind of one of those classic ones. Like, uh, I think the modern example is uh, probably Christina Hendricks and uh, her husband. Yeah. Uh, the To where, you know, the kind of somewhat sexist narrative on that would be that like oh that is a woman that is far more famous than the uh, husband that she is with or what have you again i guess tina fey and her husband probably be about the same way probably yeah. also the fact that i'm saying and her husband and i don't know their names yeah sure yeah yeah i mean i mean that i mean not to do like the heel commentators and he was kind of like playing all pretend saying myself kept calling mr cox and all that stuff uh so you know obviously got okay static after facing Tank Abbott and almost getting killed and needing the help of DDP to win that match, he kind of raises over his head. So, uh, he's like, going to DDP, he's over his head, and, and DDP's like, yeah, I, I kind of know. Um, but Orkett decides to, um, vacate the title and then have Jarrett and DDP fight for that slamboree. Uh, Jarrett and Bischoff go, now put that, and eventually, and, Making make it a couple threat match and that's the situation you're in. Um, so with this match, uh, for the mention, it's a triple cage match. The rules are slightly complicated. Pretty much going to go from the top the from the bottom cage all the way to the top of the third cage to collect the belt. Which seems simple enough, but probably might might seem a bit confusing as the match goes on. Um, so as the match starts, we've got Michael Buffer as our ring announcer. Or as I call it, one of many reasons why WCW was probably $80 million in that year. Uh, yep. <laughs> I, I, I'm also wondering if they paid him by the word, because he, his intros were long. Oh, yeah. It makes, the, that, it makes that, uh, you were, do you remember the period of time, like a year, year and a half ago, when Bo Dallas debuted? And they would call, they would almost over-exaggerate and be like, he is the inspirational... Bo Dallas, and the yeah. joke about it is that it's a long, absurd, or, or I guess more accurately, be like uh, uh, the John Laurinaitis title, where he's you know, saying, "I'm the, I'm the executive of President Trump relations in the introduction," you know. Yeah, he said that every time. Buff for doing that legitimately, not for heat. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Um, talking about Bo Dallas, I mean, I'm not seeing much of it, but I loved it when he was in NXT, when he was NXT champion. I loved it when he was that. It was just, it was just brilliant. Um, so pretty much, um, Jarrett comes out first, um, uh, followed by David Cat, which is a bit weird that the champion comes out in the middle of the three. And he, yeah. um, can you describe what he's wearing? Because it's, I just wrote down, he looks like a dead Elvis. Uh, oh, no, oh, that well, was what said. That was Marman's joke, actually, yeah. that he said, like, it was, it was dead Elvis. I think, uh, Scott Hudson has a joke later, basically saying, did James Brown have a, uh, have a yard sale? Yeah. Which, and I'll admit, I kind of hate Mark Madden. <laughs> like, I yeah. really don't like Mark Madden, and he was very obnoxious in that, although he also may have been the one person in the match that actually kind of got the weirdness of the story of the match uh, across. But, you know, it it was kind of funny that they did that. Um, uh, I, I did want to mention that... Um, as far as I'm aware, and uh, this is going to be something that both you and I have like a specific 
issue with. We're both watching the WWE Network version. Yes. And I knew this immediately as soon as Jeff Jarrett's theme came out. Uh, Jeff Jarrett's Jeff Jarrett came out, and you could definitely tell that his theme was not his theme. Yeah. All of the music has been overdubbed. Um, yes. Because. I believe that was around the time when Jeff Jarrett had like a cowboy, like a ripoff of the Kid Rock song "Cowboy" as his theme song, yeah. and that was a pretty big, like that was a pretty interesting sort of deal. And the other one is that uh, David Arquette's theme song, which I believe was on the Ready to Rumble soundtrack, is a uh, cover of the uh, Twisted Sister song uh, "We're Not Gonna Take It Anymore" by uh, a long forgotten bands called Biff Naked. Yeah. Actually, I mean I mean with the music I I never heard what David Kett was. When Jared yeah, when Jared came out, I, I thought it was I thought that's probably not funny, but I didn't think anything about the time. But I knew when DDP came out because it was a Yeah, it, it wasn't the, it wasn't the, the Sub Five. Yeah. Uh, which I I'm I'll look it up later to see if he still had that theme at the time. But I Yeah I think he did. Yeah, yeah. Up until the like the new era, and he got the the new theme and the it's me, it's me, it's DDP, <laughs> the toothy grin and whatnot. Yeah. So um, pretty much um, the match starts that okay just bails immediately and uh, Jarrett kind of goes after him, but Paige stops him and they find out. Um, okay, pretty much gets fucked up in the first few minutes. Because um, pretty much um, after DDP clotheslines Jarrett and then slams him to the floor, um, he gets get to Arquette to do a top row splash. Arquette misses. <laughs> just goes flying yep. to the back. Um, and then uh, after that, uh, DDP sends Jarrett into the cage and then drops the ladder. Um, the comments of this one, by the way, we already mentioned Mark Mann and Scott Hudson, also Tonsy Barnes, like a great play-by-play guy. Um, well, I don't know, I mean, Giovanni didn't really bother me that much. Um, Scott Hudson, I thought, was good. He didn't bother me either. Like, yeah. and for as much as I don't like Madden's commentary pretty much ever, because it, because it's basically, um, it's basically like this really smug dude kind of basically being like hey you get it because like this yeah. like you know that it's kind of i always feel like that's kind of how mark madden's commentary always reads to me yeah. it's kind of like matt striker in a sense but even striker has like his points to where i could almost like def- i could almost get close to defending him and that's why i'm probably also going to get close to defending mark madden here because like I mean, Mark Madden's goal in this, of course, is he's supposed to be the heel commentator. Yeah. He does kind of get across how weird DDP is in this match. Yeah. <laughs> to where DDP will have a lot of, you know, will have like a period of time where he's clearly just trying to kick Jarrett's ass. And then, of course, he'll have these like weird periods where, as you said, like he'll, like he'll be like, hey, try to do the thing off the top rope, David. And then David Arquette will miss and be like, well, all right. Yeah, <laughs> and it's so much. Like Jared, to where it's like, to where, and, I, and actually I kind of, for as much as I don't think that, like, uh, say, for example, the finish of this match is particularly good, 
there are kind of are bits in here to where I could kind of get what they're trying to tell yeah. through, uh, like, you know, that is, it's not perfect, but I kind of, I can understand. And the matchwork actually, uh, when, whenever I heard about this, uh, whenever I told folks that I was doing this match, uh, one, uh, uh, Mr. Jim City Gents on yeah. uh, Twitter. Uh, I don't know if he wants to give me. He wants me to shout out his name, but uh, we'll say a, a, a fella named Bill. Yes, um, he's been he's been on the podcast before. Who has been on the podcast yeah. before? Um, he did a podcast with Respected, oddly enough, on this exact same match. Yeah. You know, we got to get the conclusive history here of the uh, Slavery 2000 main events. Um, and he did a match. He did did this with the uh, Wrestlespective, and he has defended this match greatly. And I will say that in his defense, the match work in this is fine. I did not have any issues with it. It is very weird how both Jeff Jarrett and DDP just kind of are just like, oh, they got busted open. I forgot. I don't know what they did to do that, but all right. They're just busted open now, I guess. Um, but the matchwork is reasonably pretty good, uh, all things considered. Yeah, I know what I mean. I mean, um, that's what we'll get on. Well, that's kind of one. I don't think the match is as bad as people think it is. Uh, I think it's less that it's a bad match and it's more just like it's a terror. It's. I think everyone kind of muddles it in like a terrible booking decision more than anything else yeah. to where, to where at the, you see this a lot with like some WWE pay-per-views to where you will have like a perfectly fine match and then the finish happens. And then there are going to be so many people in like, we'll say on like Twitter and social media and be like, man, screw this. This is the worst pay-per-view I've ever seen. And you're like, no, it's not the worst, but, you know, that was pretty stupid. You know, to where a bad finish is about, like, a bad... I I don't know. It's like a... I've, I don't know what uh, what simile I was trying to think of this here. I really went down the wrong hole on that. But needless to say, a bad finish can, like, just screw up a lot of stuff as far as, like, how people perceive how a match is going, the story of a match, you know, getting into the match, and, you know, the work therein. Yeah, that's true. Um, Giovanni kind of mentions how Paige and Okat uh, came close to the film, but it's a one ball. Uh, they be... lived in that three-tier cage! <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Uh, yeah, with the three-tier cage, it's the same cage that was used in the movie. I know there was a three-tier cage a few years beforehand at one centre, I think. Bone Hulk Hogan, I'm not sure if it was that same like, structure. Um, with DDP, he whips Jarrett into Arquette. And then um, Jarrett goes close down DDP, misses DDP, but hits Arquette. So Arquette's like, 7 4 is getting like, pretty much destroyed in the first few minutes. Um, and then Shivani says something which I found quite amusing is that uh, he pretty much saying that Jarrett, the reason Jarrett is pissed at Arquette because he wasn't asked to be in the movie when to rumble. Slight problem with that, he was, he was in WWE at, the point, at that point. So when I heard that, I'm like going, you weren't there. Why do you care? Well, um, it's one of those... Um... Look, look, Robert. Jarrett is real mad, all right? Yes. He's just really upset that he can't be in every movie, okay? <laughs> Jeff Jarrett, star of Spring Breakers. Yeah. Um, 
Like, it took him 12 years. It took 12 years till Hollywood took notice to his acting abilities. And that, yes, he can be in a cameo appearance in a Harmony Corinne movie. He can definitely do that. <laughs> you know? So, where, <laughs> so, I mean, think of how his career would have changed if he just, just, uh, if they had paid, they had reached across the aisle and uh, uh, hired him for uh, Ready to Rumble. Um, so at this point, Jarvis like buses open already. I don't try sure how that happened. Um, but pretty much Pay tried to go up the ladder, but Jarvis suplexes him off it. And then DDP powerbombs him off the ladder and then whip the press into it and then before Jarvis reverses it. Um, eventually, Pay gets into the second cage, which is called Hardcore Hell. Um Followed by Jarrett. We'll get to what the third one is in a minute. Um, and then uh, Jarrett hits the DDP with a chair and then tries to climb up the cage free. Um, you're going to see uh, the Arquette, like, he's still in cage one, uh, looking up above as DDP now buses open. Um, and then you get a really nice spot where, um, like, DD, at the wall of one of the walls of the second cage, DDP and Jarrett, like, go flying through it. Uh, yeah. That was a good spot, actually. Yeah, yeah. there's a, there's a nice sense of a of a genuine danger there. Yeah. To where, yeah, yeah it kind of it kind of delivers in that sense, but obviously, also kind of makes sense that like Chuck Jarrett's not gonna fall twenty feet. <laughs> that's that's ridiculous. No, uh, yeah, uh, someone else do that, but we'll we'll get to that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, and that's what we like as well. It's like to, to kind of bring the fear here, you know, 20 feet. And obviously, careers beforehand, uh, you had the Hell Cell match where my guy, doing that kind of thing, went flying fly to the table. Uh, also, to mention this match is at the Kemper Arena in Kansas City, and that's the same place that a year beforehand Owen Hart uh, had away. Yeah. Um, I but, didn't really want to go too much into how kind of uncomfortable that is, but. Yes. I'm sure. I'm sure that's long since been documented. That it is at best in poor coincidental taste. That uh, this is in May 2000, and of course the fall happened in May 99. Uh, that it's one year later in the same arena. Uh, they have another person fall like 20 feet in an angle that ostensibly is supposed to be. Uh, oh yeah, he's unconscious. Well, all right, <laughs> you know. But yeah. again, we'll get to that in, uh, a little later. Uh, yeah, when we finish this up here. Yeah. Um, so um, DDP power slams Jarrett through a table and then attacks with a chair and then start to uh, like exchange blows and all that stuff. Okay, at this time, decides to climb up in the cage too, and then oh, to get the bit weird because I I thought when first I was about the match, I thought you have to. Climb the cage from inside the cage. No, you do have to go from cage one to cage two to get to cage three, which is called the guitar room. Um, which That's got to be a reference to something, and I don't understand it. So uh, I will not be well, much help I there. Think, I, I think I think the fact that it's full of guitars might be a clue. Well, and... well, yeah, well, yeah, I know that part. I know the the whole point is like I don't know if like the specific of it being just the guitar room is supposed to be like a reference to something. Outside of the obvious, you know, there's five or six acoustic guitars in the, in the I, cage I, area. I just assumed it was a reference to Jeff Jarvis because that was like his, 
proper choice they just like hit people. I mean, yeah, I, I mean that too, but like, yeah, I, I mean both. <laughs> I mean the sad thing is I might be trying to read way too much into WCW in 2000, and that's a dangerous thing to do. <laughs> yeah, but otherwise, <laughs> uh, yeah. So, but pretty much he started climbing up into cage three, um, and then suddenly Mike Awesome out of fucking nowhere. <laughs> Now that genuinely, if like you know, they they say the RKO is something that comes out of nowhere. Genuinely, uh, Mike Awesome just appears there <laughs> as if he had transported himself from uh, backstage to 15 feet above a uh, a, a ring on yeah, top of a cage. That's a weird thing because there's no part. There's a bit of a pop bit minute on because like my DDP is kind of like. No, go to the trial. I don't know that. And at the same time, Awesome came in and he just climbed up. But there's no part. You don't see Awesome like run in at all. Because there's something like something that happened like WWE. You would see him run in. Uh, kind of thing. It's a bit weird. It's like, this just goes like spice. Kind of thing. It's there. Um, it's, it, the other thing I'm like, I don't like that. <laughs> I actually kind of like that it was a, uh, yeah, a true. like almost a, like a Jack in the Box esque surprise. Yeah. But I imagine it's not a good sign. Where like for for what it's worth, the crowd was reasonably heated up. Like when they move up to Cage Two, like the yeah. crowd's like actually kind of you know like you know cheering you know for it. Like they understand just enough about this somewhat convoluted somewhat you know sensible yeah. match to figure out that like oh they're going up that's good uh, and yet they still have no reaction to a guy going up there and beating yeah. up the person that ostensibly they want to see win the match yeah I mean I think I think with people who just like Peter no, don't don't think of that I mean there's one at the end we get to that in a minute but uh, at the main event of Starcraft 87 you had the end yeah you had like all of his win and all of a sudden he just cuts to Bret Hart who was just there and like it just appeared and you don't you don't know but he, even though he was rolled the match before you didn't know if he came in and came back you know came back out again or stayed or whatever but pretty much just like you see Hogan win and you belt you don't hear the bell because Bret Hart is just suddenly there stopping the bell from ringing um, so they have kind of done like um, like surprise appearances before where this guy just turns and be like how did you get that um but with uh, Mike Awesome, he um, stopped DDP from um, hitting DDTing down onto a chair. Uh, this time, Arquette now clamped to where the belt is, which is both the photography. And DDP hits Awesome with a diamond cutter. Um, DDP and Jarrett now climb up to go into the guitar room and they both grab guitars and uh, Miss was forward nice bit. They're kind of like trying to hit each other, but then Jarrett misses and then Paige has to go, but he misses. Um, DDP gives Arquette uh, a guitar. Um, oh, I was gonna say you did mention that Arquette is on the very, very top of the yeah, list. Yeah, yeah, he, he did point. He, 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 I mentioned it's about a minute ago. He, he kind of to the top of the third cage where the belt is, like uh, to the point to where uh, even like you know Madden does like a job of being like you know like for someone that's not invested in the title or anything like that, he can just sneak in and get it right there. Yeah, exactly. yeah. I mean, that was mentioning he's he just like reclaimed the title um, that he doesn't want. Um, so, and then, this bit, and then DDP and Jarrett want to climb up to cover the cage, the top of cage three, and then Arquette goes to hit Jarrett but ends up hitting DDP with the guitar. 
Um, and then Jarrett, who had done the cut out, so I think he'd do the and the beat off. Um, Arquette Ar- Ar- and Jarrett hug. And Jarrett wins the belt to win the match and become the, the WWE champion for the second time. And this point. And don't worry, uh, Sony Schiavone notes this is the ultimate swerve. Yes, pull the two feet in the way. Um, spoiler alert, it's not really those much swerve. There were many swerves before WCW ended. Oh, uh, you mean Tony Schiavone may have may have exaggerated uh, almost to comic effect the uh, actual nature of uh, how many great nights there have been in the history of our sport and how many ultimate swerves there have been in the history of our sport? I don't know, cause I, don't, I don't think he's done it that often. Well, I don't know. I'm, I'm just being sarcastic. Uh, <laughs> but um, so while while they're celebrating the music, playing all that stuff, um, Paige wanted to get Chris get to where awesome is both line up both of the top of cage one. Um, also goes to also bomb DDP where he starts from Canyon, who's again out of nowhere. Yeah. Uh, and also does take it well, and he throws Canyon off the cage onto the aisle. Now, just to point out that it's not the WWE aisle where Dial goes down to the floor. Um, it's like the one in TNA, in TNA where it's like this long, like, elevated aisle that goes from the stage to the ring, which I'm not, big, which I'm not a big fan of, but I think in taste of candy probably was a good idea. Um, so, um, and obviously the fans, uh, the comments going on, I mean, uh, like, they're like shot and they get help in or something. And uh, they're not happy that, you know, awesome and uh, Jarrett Okay, so celebrating and that how the pay per view ends. Um, so yep, we- it literally is. <laughs> I, I I actually want to get this into the mindset of the uh, viewer that are so used to like the WWE pay per views where a WWE pay per view would have like the finish of the match and then the commentators would talk about it for a good three or four minutes, and if there is like a swerve that happens. It would, you know, it would happen, but it would take, you know, you would get, like, two minutes or so to, like, you know, soak in, like, you know, when, say, Triple H turns on Daniel Bryan at SummerSlam. Yeah. God, is that 2013 now? Yeah, so God, that's a long time ago at this point. Um, when he turns on Daniel Bryan after, like, uh, the, ca- well, uh, you get, like, basically you get the three sounds you get. Daniel Bryan wins his title. He gets the big celebration. Orton comes down, like, you know, but that's after, like, a couple of minutes. And then Triple H turns on Daniel Bryan, thus setting the moment up to where, oh, there's the shocking finish, there's a shocking swerve. And then, after, like, a minute or two of celebration, they go off the air, as if to say, whoa, what is this? Yeah. Literally, in the two minutes of time that it would take for, like, an outro to happen, we have David Arquette has turned on a man. (laughs) He's proved himself to be a bad guy. The ultimate swerve being that he's wanted Jeff Jarrett to be the champion, despite the fact that Jeff Jarrett had had the belt before. Yes. Um, And that has been addressed. Then, Mike Awesome is still trying to Myrtleize DDP. Then Canyon's there. How did he get there? He just showed up. And then Canyon, who we didn't know was there until a half a minute ago, is thrown off the cage. Yes. And then everybody's like, oh my god, is Canyon okay? 
And then the credits series shows up that says copyright 2000 division of time Warner, And then we're done. <laughs> and, um, by like actual satellite time, like the actual WWE network feed version of it is two hours and 50 minutes. So you're also left with like eight minutes of satellite time left yeah. just out of nowhere <laughs> to where the commentators could have easily been like, Oh my God, what has just happened? Yeah. <laughs> But no, they're just done. Yeah. <laughs> Off the air, canyons, canyons hurt real bad. Yeah. And the people that are in the ring just have the belts. <laughs> That's it. That's the end. Yeah, so, um, yeah, that's the end of the match. It's, um, as I said before, we, with the match itself, we don't, don't think it's as bad as people think it is. I think it's because of who's yeah. involved in it and the book of decisions, that kind of thing. Um, I think that's a lot of that's a lot of Russo era decisions. I find to where it's like, I I imagine that unless Russo purposefully puts a, them in a bad situation, we'll say like a match that goes like three minutes, or yeah. even or Tank Abbott is the person in the match, or something like absurd like that. Uh, that that like. DDP and Jarrett are working their asses off here. Yeah. To the and to their credit, they should because I mean it's a world title match. It's supposed to feel re- reasonably special. The only the only problems I even had with it were just the fact that it was really like it. To be fair, I don't even know if I necessarily want to say like it's definitely rushed when you think about like how the finish goes and then yeah. how everything else happens after that. But you know. 15 minutes is still a relatively medium amount of time for a wrestling match to go that is the main match on the show. Yeah. I mean, they could have done about five or six more minutes than it would have been. It probably would have been a little bit. It wouldn't have felt as rushed yeah. to where, like, you know, they have, like, all this drama about even getting up to the second cage. And then by the time they get up to the second chase, like, whoop, I guess we're just up here now. And it's just going to, that's, that's almost it. That match, oh, well, he got it. Match is over. You know, like, yeah. But it's kind of, it kind of goes by, like, but then again, I don't know. Maybe, maybe the match is, maybe Russo era WCW is best served not to be four hours long. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know if, the, I don't know if making it five or six minutes, I would think it would make it better. But I don't know if it would. Uh, but it could have easily also made it a lot worse. I yeah. don't know. That's true. Um, so we kind of briefly talked about the next night. Pretty much, um, the old new blood come in. Uh, all that you know, celebrating and all that stuff. And Bishop pretty much says that now there's all planned all along. So it's pretty much one of the most convoluted plans in wrestling history. And uh, <laughs> Arquette managed to win the title. So that, so that uh, the person that uh, had the title before did not have the title for a minute, but it was to make sure that someone else did not get the title, because <laughs> you yeah. know that's how you do it. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's weird. It's like like his plan was to let an actor get the title of the main guy and then get that main guy of oh, that their chosen one and then get the chosen one gets it back like three years later. It's, it's bizarre. Like, I I would understood him. But to be fair, though, it, it kind of was a plan in a way because they would get... No, no, if I remember correctly, uh, I think Arquette had to beat Bischoff so DDP could challenge Jarrett that same night and DDP won. So, um, 
so that's kind of one of the people. It's a it's it's a very convoluted plan. I don't. It's almost as if they were doing damage control for the dumb angle they booked. Yes, that's true. Uh, I mean, you get that in movies now, like all these, like you know, I wanted to be caught. Cool. I mean, Don and I did it, and Skyfall did, and Avengers. And I, I want, I planned to be caught, cool and all that stuff. And he's just like, really? You know, I think Skyfall's the most ridiculous one because he planned to get caught. The Vanek planned to get caught so he could escape and then go to this one specific place that you would know, you would not know that she would be there. This happened. This happened. This happened. So it's like a very weird plan that they did. Um, I actually think about Metal Gear a lot when I think about like weird plans that don't really seem to make much sense. I yeah, just think of true. every Metal Gear Solid game. <laughs> yeah, that is true. Uh, yeah, I know, I'm not playing when it gets on the ball, but I know the first one, it was a bit of a, like, literally had this convoluted plan to uh, get what he wanted to activate Metal Gear. Um, so that's it. Well, with, um, it, with this whole thing, did you, do you think this is one of the worst moments in WCW history, or do you, or do you think it not, over the years, it's not as bad as people made out to be? I mean, it's, I mean, I could already have told you that I didn't think it would be as bad as people would make it out to be. I just, again, though, we're, we are talking about, I am kind of, I do kind of have the benefit of the fact that I am literally, I literally have watched this match and the first four minutes of the show, and that is my only experience Pretty much ever, other than, I guess, I did see, like, you know, they do show, like, the highlight clips of, like, the Arcat winning the title thing, because yeah. WWE again likes to be like, you know, ha, 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 get it, because they did that. Yeah. Um, but, like, literally, other than that, my only experience with Russo-era WCW is now this match, and the very opening of the show in which... <laughs> To promote a Ric Flair Shane Douglas match, you just hear a clip of Vince Russo say, "I am the Batman." <laughs> I am not kidding when I say this is a thing that happens on the show. Everybody, yes. you if you want to go back to WWE Network, watch the first three minutes of the uh, Starcade opening, uh, Starcade Slambury opening uh, thing, and you will get to see Vince Russo <laughs> yell uh, with. No irony in his voice. I am the Batman. <laughs> That's true. It's a bit of a weird one. Um, honestly, I can't remember seeing that. With, with me, I did watch like the all the night. It's a bit weird to the, the TV deal in the UK at the time was you know, see they were showing nitros from on the same night. But when they show the pay per views, so you see all these nitros onto the pay per view, and then have to wait two weeks for you. And this that the internet wasn't as prevalent as it is now. So, um, so the way for you to find out was to wait the, ne- the next week and then find out what happened. Um, so, yeah. So, um, Trey, where can we have to find you on the internet? God, if you, uh, if you ever were so cursed as to want to see me on the internet, um, uh, I am at Irby the Cleaner, I-R-B-Y the Cleaner. Um, uh, follow me if you like, uh, Jokes about, uh, I think I spent a whole pay-per-view joking, making jokes about what would happen if JBL and Cole were uh, calling um, Metal Gear characters in a a WWE uh, pay-per-view saying, you know, like, you know, Ocelot calls himself the Shaskin Cowboy, you know, just crap like that. So if that's something that interests you, 
that's that's where I am. Probably uh, probably going to tweet some about uh, playing a video game or two uh, in, over the next few days, I'm sure. So, all righty. So, and for me, uh, you can find my blog at northernwestern.blogspot.com. Uh, focusing on TV reviews more than anything, and occasional opinion pieces, the podcast, and you're listening to this on lowdownwrestling.wordpress.com. Uh, you can find me on the internet at lowdownwrestling, or one word. So, uh, Craig, thank you again for being on the show. Okie dokie, my pleasure. Yes, and um, until the next time, uh, thank you very much, and goodbye.